All right, Luke chapter number 5 this morning. I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. The Word of God says this, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the Word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draw. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Now look back at verse number 4. I want you to notice the, the command that the Lord gave to Simon Peter. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draw. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time you've given us. Now, Lord, we surrender ourselves over the next few moments to the examination of your word. I pray, Heavenly Father, that Your Holy Spirit would move and would work in our midst this morning. And God, that we would find ourselves laid open before You. Lord, we have more need of of You this morning, Lord, than You have need of us. And so, Father, help us to realize that You seek to accomplish something in our hearts and lives this morning and to surrender ourselves to it. Lord, we love You, and we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I want to take a few moments, and if the Lord will help us to, I want to preach to you on the deep and the drought. As we study the life of Simon Peter, this is a pivotal point in his relationship with the Lord. This is not the first time that Peter has come into interaction with the Lord Jesus, but it's at this point that he leaves his fisherman's nets and begins to take up the responsibility, the vocation, and the calling of being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. But as I read this passage, I can't help but be struck by a parallel to the desire and will of God in this day that you and I live in for what God wants us to do in our lives and wants us to be doing for Him. You know, there's a lot of us, we don't mind getting a little ways away from the shore, but launching out into the deep scares us. It don't take much to launch out a little bit from the shore, And I'm not being critical of those that launch out a little bit from the shore. You're here today because you've launched out a little bit from the shore. But I believe that God has greater things for us in the deep waters if we'll go there. I want us to just walk through this passage. I I preached on Wednesday night and we just sort of walked through the, the chapter there in Genesis 18. I sort of want to do the same thing. 
And I want you to notice by way of introduction that there are two important truths that frame the narrative in front of us. I want you to notice verse number 1 with me. The Bible says, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. I want to say first off that the need was immense in that day. There were folks that were pressing upon the Lord Jesus so that they might hear Him. In fact, we might say it this way, it was almost as though He couldn't get any teaching done for the folks that needed to be teached. Uh, There were probably some in that day, uh, like there are some in this day, that said this Jesus character isn't going to last very long. In fact, there were some that said, hey, after Christ had resurrected and the disciples were causing a little bit of a stir, I know they were Baptists because they caused a stir everywhere they went. And uh, they said, hey, this is going to pass. Let's just leave this thing alone. It's going to pass. And I'm sure there were some during the earthly ministry of our Lord that said that uh, this Jesus fellow, he's going to pass. There's no big deal about Jesus Christ. Nobody's really interested in the things that He has to say. And yet when we find the Word of God giving us irrefutable and infallible historical record, it says that on this day, by the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Gennesaret, that there were multitudes pressing upon Him to hear the Word of God. And you say, preacher, what does that have to do with me today? Well, there's some that would say that Christianity thing is just a fad. That Christianity thing is old hat. We've just about abolished through philosophy and science any remnant, any scrap of Christianity. You turn on the TV and you get the idea that Jesus isn't coming back, that Calvary didn't mean anything, that God's lost and He's dead, and you listen to the voices around you and they'll say, there's nothing you can do. Nobody's interested. Nobody wants to hear what you have to say. Nobody wants to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'm just convinced that if the need was immense in that day... I bet if we got to looking, we'd find out the need is still immense in this day. Well, I know there's some that scoff. I've had my share, a fair share of slammed doors. But don't mistake uh, the rejection of some uh, for the apathy of all. There are still folks today that want and need to hear the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things we always get told, we're down, you know, we're, we're here in the South and we're in the, the Bible Belt and we're in the buckle of the Bible Belt. And uh, some of you that have uh, come from other portions of the country, uh, you know how precious it is that we have such an open door here. Well, let me tell you what a homegrown boy has heard his whole life from people. Well, it's too hard down here in the South. Folks, is gospel hardened down here. Uh, people are gospel saturated. Let me tell you something. There's no such thing. If the gospel saturates an area, that means Jesus... Jesus is saving people. The problem today is not that people are uh, too uh, familiar with the gospel. The problem today is that they're too unfamiliar with it. I'm aware they have a head knowledge. I'm aware people have learned the language. I'm not being dismissive of that. But here's the thing. Uh, A sinner that knows and rejects the gospel still needs the gospel. And it doesn't matter if there's a Baptist church on every corner. There's lost folks every step of the way. The need is still immense today. And I just don't believe this whole thing that folks don't want to hear the gospel anymore. I know there's some, and I understand that wicked and ungodly men, I understand that uh, wicked men and and seducers are waxing worse and worse. I understand we're living in the end times. But I just sort of believe that Jesus didn't call us to throw up our hands and quit and say, let's just go to the house. I think the need is still immense in this day that we live in. But I notice too, verse number 2 says this, that Jesus saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them 
and were washing their nets. I see that the need was immense, but I see that their nets were idle. There were all these fish in the sea, and yet the nets were on land. Could I make an application here? I hope that's okay. What they were doing was not a bad thing. What they were doing was even a necessary thing. But we find this truth, that though they were washing their nets, they were waiting instead of catching fish. Let me tell you something. You know why you came to church today? You came to church to get your net washed. That's what the house of God is all about. The house of God, listen, I I hope if you're here today and you're lost without Christ, I want you to know God loves you and Christ can save you and He'll do it today. But the church house uh, is not the place of evangelism. The lost world is the place of evangelism. You say, what does the the church house do? Well, that's where you come to get your net washed. It's where you come to mend the net. It's where you come to get help, to get encouragement, to learn the Word of God, to get shored up before you go out into a lost and dying world. It's interesting. You know, they were to wash their nets after they had caught the fish, not before they had caught the fish. It's not just in preparation, but it's also in encouragement for a week that we've been out beat up by the world and uh, had our eyes on all of the discouragement and destruction of this world. Hey, there's a place for net washing. I don't think any fisherman in this day would have been critical of another fisherman that was washing his nets. It is necessary to wash your net. But you can't be washing and fishing at the same time. Let me tell you something. You have not, and I hope this don't sound ugly, but just because you have found your way to darken the doorstep of a church this week, that does not mean that you fulfilled your Christian duty. I think there's a place for it. I think there's a place for the house of God. I think we need to have our nets washed. But the whole reason we wash the nets is so we can fish with them. I am afraid that we have a church today not full of fishermen that have come to wash their nets, but full of net washers that occasionally decide to fish. You, you listen, you don't catch no fish. You have to wash the net. But you don't catch no fish by washing the net. It's necessary. It's preparatory. But that is not the very act of it. I just want you to understand. I, I knew this wouldn't go over just real, real well. But I think it's necessary. I think it'll help us. I mean, listen, if you came in here today for me to preach at them, I'm sorry, them didn't show up. You did. And so I'm preaching to you and I'm preaching to me this morning. I see that they were washing, but they were waiting. I see about their nets that they were decent. They were decent. I mean, hey, they had their nets in order. Uh, John talks about them mending their nets. Oftentimes, whenever they would get done fishing, they'd come back and there would be tears and weak spots in the nets from where they had caught fish. And they would sit and they'd take some time and they would clean out all of the rubbish, all of the junk, all of the obstructions, all of the things, hey, listen, that might get in the way of the fish and make them see the net instead of seeing the bait. Right? You say, preacher, oh my. You say, preacher... What exactly are standards for? Standards to get all the junk out of the net. Standards are not there to put something in your way. Standards are there to take something out of the way. Standards are there. And listen, I, I, I think we have standards for this reason. Not because we want to hold our standards up to the world. The only thing we ought to be holding up to the world is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. But we don't want anything getting in the way of the cross. We don't want anybody looking and saying, Well, you know, they say they're Christian, but look at the way they dress. Well, they, you know, they say they're a Christian, but listen to the way they talk. Man, you know, they say they're a Christian, but look at the crowd that they run with. A standard isn't there to put something in the way of the cross. A standard is there to take something out of the way of the cross. 
And they'd clean all this rubbish out of their nets. And then they would mend and work on these nets. You know, when they got done, them nets looked nice. They looked nice. They were decent. They were the best-looking nets on shore, but they were dry. Let me tell you something. If the work of God in your life is not to the end that you might be effective in sharing the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, then that work is ineffectual in your life. Uh, you, listen, you might have doctrine so much it's coming out your ears, but if that don't lead you to a compassion for lost souls, it don't mean nothing. You can have standards so much that, that you don't even know what to do with them. You can have everything, every I dotted, every T crossed. You can have all of your doctrinal treaties tucked away and filed away in just the right way. And I'm not being critical of that. The nets need to be washed, but the end to which we wash them is that we might fish with them that they might reach beyond the walls of this church and make an impact on those around us. They were decent. They were impeccable. They were impeccable. Boy, one good way. I, you know, people ask me sometimes if, if I fish. I fish all the time. I don't never go catching, but I go fishing a lot. And somebody asked me sometimes, said, what do you think is wrong? I said, nothing's wrong. I just I don't want to mess up good fishing by catching a fish. You know? One quick way to tear up your gear is to catch a fish. One quick, one quick way to dirty the gears to catch a fish. Man, they were impeccable, but they were empty. They were empty. Here's my greatest fear for the church in the day that we live in. We live in such a divisive and compartmentalized society, and we do. We do. I mean, we can't get along. All that's needed for me to kill you is for you to have a different opinion than me in the world that we live in today. That's the world that we live in today. And you know what I'm afraid? You know what I'm afraid? Our churches are becoming elitist clubs for those that have excelled at... Bi- bi- oh, I'll get it in a minute. Bible memorization. I'm not opposed. I'm not being critical. You need to know your Bible. You need to know the Word of God. You need to have these things. But let me tell you something. The church house ought to be a place that after a person gets saved, they can come in and grow and learn and develop. I feel like we spend all of our time trying to weed out people that might hurt our, our record. What a bunch of nonsense. Hey, their nets were impeccable, but they were empty. In other words, there were masses that wanted to hear the Word of God, just like there were masses of fish in that lake. But the folks that were supposed to be catching them when they should have been fishing were sitting on the shore washing their nets. I want to give you a few thoughts this morning that I think might help you along this line. I want you to notice with me first off the call of the Savior. After verse number 2, Christ is walking by. He sees these two ships, and they're empty, and the fishermen are not in the ships. They're not doing the job, not doing what their vocation called them to do. They're sitting on shore, and they are washing their nets. And notice what happens. Verse number 3, it says, And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. I want you to notice that this call was a preemptive call. In other words, the Savior didn't wait for Simon to call his name. The Savior called Simon's name. You say, now preacher, what does this mean to me today? Well, here's what it means. Uh, We have this idea that, that, you know, we're waiting on God, when the truth is God might already be in the boat waiting on us. We're waiting for God to come along and drop a ton of bricks on our head and hogtie us and force us to go out and share the gospel with somebody when the truth of the matter is He's already... Listen, He's given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. He's Listen, He has allowed us to be indwelt by the Holy Ghost. He's given us the inspired, infallible Word of God. He's given us all things that we need to go and be a witness. 
He's in the boat. He's just waiting on you and me. You say, preacher, I'm waiting until I feel something. Well, let me kick you then if that's what you need. Preacher, I'm praying about it. You don't have to pray about it. It didn't say, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, but only after you've prayed about it and found out if that's what God wants you to do. That's ignorant. I'm not being ugly, but that's ignorant. No, no, that's not ignorant. Ignorant folks, they can know better. They just don't. That's stupid. That's stupid. God has already given us marching orders. God has already given us a commandment. You're waiting on God, and God's waiting on you. We see it was a preemptive call. We see it was a public call. He comes and, you know, and, and he gets in the boat. And, uh, you know, that Peter might have thought that was a little intrusive. Oh, man. <laughs> you know part of our problem, you know why we don't do anything for God? We think God has overstepped His boundaries in our lives. I, wouldn't, I promise I wasn't even going to preach it. You can look at my notes. It, it, it ain't even in there. We think God has overstepped His boundary. It's all right for God to ask for our Sundays, but He's got no business asking for our Mondays. That's our attitude. Hey, it's all right. And you know, we have adopted that notion and attitude from the world. The world has no problem with Christianity as long as we keep it in the church house. Hey, you believe whatever you want to believe, just don't come to me with it. And we have allowed ourselves to be bullied into that mentality concerning our Christianity. Hey, God can have our Sundays... God can maybe even have our Wednesday nights. But God can't have control of my life day in and day out. That's too much. That's too much. What if Simon had said that? You know what most of us would have said? We would have walked up and said, who are you? He would have said, I'm the Lord Jesus Christ. We would have said, get out of the boat and come back on the weekend. Oh, that's not what he did. Simon says, okay, Lord, what does the Lord ask of him? I want you to notice this. And prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. It was a public call. Christ wanted Peter to identify himself publicly with him. I wrote down a little question. Can I ask it to you? Can people hear the Savior teaching from your ship? Can people hear the Savior teaching from your ship? Everybody knew that was Peter's ship. I don't know, maybe maybe he had the, the, you know, S.S. Simon Peter on it. I don't know. But everybody knew, and when Jesus walked into the, the ship, now I know he was the Son of God, but when he walked in, he knew whose ship he was walking into. I sort of believe that when people looked out, and by the way, he didn't say, uh, Simon, you get out of the ship and let me get in it and take it out. He said, no, 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 Simon, we're in this ship together. We're in this thing together. And they launched out a little from the land. And everybody looked out there and they saw Peter. They saw him sitting there with the oars at his side. They saw him sitting there and they saw the Savior standing up and teaching and and giving the Word of God. I wonder if people, when they look at our lives, if they can hear the Savior teaching. I wonder if they know you're a Christian. Let me tell you something. Don't expect to launch out into the deep if you won't even push out from the shore. For some of us, we need to be launching out in the deep. For some of us, we just need to be letting the folks we work with know we're actually a Christian. For some of us, we just need to be letting the folks that live next to us, letting them know that we're a Christian. Some of us, we say, Preacher, I want to launch out into the deep. You're going to have to get past the shore first. You're not even in the boat yet. You've got to get in the boat. Say, all right, Lord, I will identify publicly with you. 
I will identify publicly. There wasn't no turning back then. Let me tell you something. You know why it'd be good if we let our coworkers and, and, and our it would help us in our Christian walk. You know why? Because once you tell them, there's no turning back then. You know, a lot of the reason we keep it quiet is because if we tell them, we're going to have to watch how we talk and how we act and, and the things that we say. We don't want to tell them because there's no turning back then. Hey, no turning back for Peter. He launched out from the shore and everybody said, Hey, I guess that Jesus fell and that Peter fell. I guess they're buddies. I, I, I guess he believes enough in what Jesus is teaching that he would lend him his boat. You understand the analogy, don't you? You understand that the nets and the boats are a picture of Peter's life and livelihood. You understand that as a fisherman, if anything happened to his nets or his boat, he'd starve to death. You understand that every day when he got up, he didn't go check in at the office. He didn't go sit at a desk. He went and got in his boat and he went out and fished. If you had looked for Peter, you would have found him in the boat. This is a picture of Peter surrendering his his life to publicly identify with the Savior. But it does not end there. We see that it is a preemptive call and a public call, but we see that there is a personal call that takes place. So the Savior launches out. Here they are, a little ways from the shore. And He teaches and He gets done teaching and they take up an offering, I guess. And uh, He says, all right, you're dismissed. See you tonight at six and... And uh, then he turns and he looks at Peter. And notice, notice what he says. Now, when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. Now, this is not a public call. This is a personal command that he is giving Peter. He has been using Peter to work in the lives of others. But now he has a desire to work distinctly in Peter and his associates' lives. And he basically tells him two things. He says, Peter, if you're going to catch fish, you're not going to catch them here. You're going to catch them in deep water. This is so simplistic. I mean, this is... Watson would say... or, or I mean, they, they'd say it's elementary. Okay? But you've got to go where the fish are. Uh, let me tell you something. I, I understand. I, I've seen people saved in the church house. We've got people here today saved in the house of God. We've got some that, that was saved in the house of God. They came. There's a lost sinner. They, they hadn't heard the Word of God. They sat down. They heard the gospel. They responded. We have some that are here that made a profession, a false profession many years ago. And somewhere along the line, the Spirit of God gripped their heart. They realized they were a sinner and got saved. But the place for catching fish is not the house of God. I knew you'd get that. That's, listen, you've got to go out in the deep where the fish are. The fish ain't by the shore where you wash your nets. There's a place for washing the nets, but that ain't where the fish are. You've got to go out into the deep to catch the fish. Very simply, let me ask you this. Are you living your Christianity out in the world and not just in the house of God? Uh, there's lots of folks, man. They'll come in, they'll shout it out, they'll talk about how good God is. And I think we ought to do that. It encourages, it builds up, it edifies one another. Praise is an important function in the house of God. But you do understand that you are most literally preaching to the choir. You come in you say, hey, man, I'm so glad God loves me. You're mostly telling that to people that know God loves you and know that God loves them. I'm not, I'm not being critical of that, but I'm saying, boy, what if we could go out and tell a bunch of folks that don't know God loves them, that He loves them? Where would we find folks like that? Well, you probably won't find them in the church house on a Sunday morning. But chances are you'll find them at your place of work throughout the week. 
Chances are you'll find them at the grocery store when you go to buy your groceries. Chances are you'll find them at the bank when you go to deposit your check. Chances are that you'll find them at the beauty shop, or chances are you'll find them at the barber shop. Chances are wherever you go and talk about the love of God and the goodness of God, you'll probably run into more lost folks than you will in the house of God. And yet, you know what we want to do? We want to say, I'll go out there, I ain't going to say anything about it. But now I come in church, I'll talk about it. No, that's foolish. We ought to talk about it here, but hey, there's a whole lost and dying world that needs to hear how much God loves you and loves them and cares for them. You've got to go where the fish are. He wanted him to launch out into the deep, but he wanted him to let down his nets for a draught. It's interesting that he says it this way. Now, I believe the Word of God, I believe this is on purpose. Amen? I don't believe this is by accident. I believe this is on purpose. And listen to how he says this. Launch out into the deep and let down your nets. Now, we could stop there, couldn't we? I mean, he knows what he's doing when he's letting down the nets, right? He understands that. How many of you believe that the Word of God is verbally inspired? It is the breath of God. You believe that? Okay, he could have stopped there. God don't waste his breath, am I right? He could have stopped there. He could have said, and let down your nets. And Peter wouldn't have known what he was doing. I mean, that, you know, that, that's like saying, hey, uh, Brother Dan, go get your fishing pole and go out and, uh, and throw your hook in the water. I don't have to tell you to catch a fish. You know that's what you're doing. Why did he tell us when he told Peter, let down your net, but let down your net for a drop? Why? He is teaching us that we are to fish not just out of duty, but in faith. We much discount the impact of faith in this world. Faith is the currency in God's economy. It is the means wherewith we access and appreciate and enjoy uh, all of the divine inheritance and bounty and, uh, that God has provided for us through Calvary. And when he says, let down your nets, he don't say, let down your nets, but don't expect too much. He says, let down your nets for a drop. Let me tell you something, I, and, and I, I, I prayed hard about what the Lord wanted me to preach on. I don't want to preach on this if the Lord didn't want us to preach on this. But let me tell you something, when you go out and when you share a gospel track, don't share it and say, well, I, that'll wind up in the trash. No, let down your net for a draught. Don't go out and say, well, I'll do this, preacher asked me to, and I didn't want everybody to look at me funny because I didn't get a bundle of tracks, so I'll go do this. No, let down your net. For a drought. Believe that God still saves sinners because God still saves sinners. Believe He's able because He is able. The Bible says of Israel that they limited the Holy One of Israel. Why? Through their unbelief. You understand that God honors faith because faith honors God. And the reason God responds to faith is because it surrenders all glory to Him. For us to admit that the impossible has been done, we're admitting that we didn't do it because with men things are impossible, but with God all things are possible. And so when we share the gospel or when we give a track or when we pray with someone or when we invest in any way the gospel into someone's life, we're asking God to do something supernatural in their heart and their condition. Do that in faith. There's no telling how our spiritual fruitfulness is stunted because of a lack of of faith. We go through the motions. We do it because that's what we're expected to do, but we really don't believe God's going to bring anything of it. 
He says, no, don't do that. Let down for a drop. Well, what did Peter say? I want you to notice the concern of Simon. We see the call of the Savior, but notice the concern of Simon. And notice the, the first word, verse number 5. And Simon answering said unto him, Master. Notice the reverence that he gave him. Now, Peter is not being obstinate or combative. He wants to maintain the reverential relationship he has with, with Jesus. Can I put it this way? He didn't want to burn any bridges but he had misgivings. I wonder how many of us that defines us this morning. We came to church to call him master, but we don't really believe he can fill our nets. We came to church because we think he's the master, and we came to church because we think he's Lord, but we don't really believe he's able to fill our nets. He says, Master, what does that imply? We understand that that title was given to rabbis and teachers. We understand it is a a title of reverence for piety and for distinction as someone that is a a, a holy teacher. We understand that. But let's just really ask ourselves, when we call Him Master, what is He Master of? When you call Him Lord, what is He Lord of? When you call Him God, what is He God of? Is He God of Wall Ridge Road or is He God of all creation? Is He God of an independent Baptist church, or is He the God of the living and the dead? Is He God simply in the places where He's appreciated, or is He God in those places where it takes a work, an act of faith for Him to work and do something mighty? I believe He's God everywhere. I believe He's God everywhere. And I don't believe His hand is shortened. And I don't, I don't, Listen, I, I don't believe His ears are heavy. I believe He's able to save the sinner. I believe that. I understand that we have to sow bountifully to reap bountifully, but why would you think anything different? Don't do this, okay? I, I'm, I'm not, I know this isn't really inspiring what I'm about to say, but, but don't do what I am about to say. Don't go out. I saw a track somewhere. There it is. Don't go out and give a track and that person not come to church and you say, well, pff, I knew that didn't work. Nobody ever said giving out one track would work. God said, if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. We're getting ready to plant a garden next year. Now, what nonsense would it be if I walked out into the dead center of that garden, took one seed, planted it in the ground, and went and sat and pouted on my porch because I didn't have a harvest? Hey, sow bountifully. You'll reap bountifully. He says, let down your nets for a drop. Simon says, Master, he reverences him. And, but notice his report. <laughs> this is funny. He says this, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. You know what he, he's saying? He's saying, now, I'm not saying that I know better than you. That's what he says when he says master. I'm, I'm not saying I know better than you, but this ain't going to work. That's what he's saying. I, I, Lord, I'm not saying you're not in charge. I'm just saying I don't think it's going to work. I wonder how many of us approach evangelism with that same mentality. Oh, I'll tell somebody, but it ain't going to work. I know God could save them, but I don't think it's going to work if I tell them. He says, Master, we've toiled all night and we've taken nothing. You know what that means, that word toiled? I'm going to blow your mind. You ready? It means toiled. (laughs) It means worked. They said, we've been working and working and working, and we ain't been able to work it out. He said, well, you know what you've missed? You've got all the work, but you haven't had the Word. 
In other words, it is not through the mechanism of human strength. It is not through the exercising of human ingenuity. Let me tell you something. Anybody that you can talk into heaven, I could talk out of heaven. Right? Anybody that you could just talk into, you understand what I mean. Now, listen, don't look at me like a calf staring at a new gate. You understand what I'm talking about. I, it, they cannot be uh, argued into salvation. It's not just a matter of logic and convincing. You know what I've found? When I've debated, uh, debate is, is an old Latin word for waste of time. Somebody say amen to that. You know what I've found when I've debated? When I get people good and hemmed in, good and cornered, good, good and, 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 and lost in their own fallacy, you know what I've found? They just deny it and walk away anyway. At the end of the day, it's not a matter of logic. It's not a matter of argument. It's not a matter of debate. You can toll and toll and toll and toll. But unless the Word of God is present, and unless the Spirit of God is moving and working in their heart, and I want to be clear, I'm not talking about some emotional show. Hey, there's some folks, they got saved real emotionally, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. There's some folks that when they got saved, it wasn't like dynamite going off, but God saved them. When I say a moving and working of the Holy Spirit, I'm not talking about tears, although it may include tears. I'm not talking about uh, about, uh, about uh, sorrow or, or contrition, although there will be a measure of that. I'm talking about the Spirit of God making known to you the reality of your lost condition. And here's the reality. If you, uh, once you find a person that's lost, it's not real difficult to show them how to be saved. But we live in a world full of people that don't realize they're lost. Say, so how are they going to know? Well, we talked a little bit about it in Sunday school. You know what? You know what Paul said to Timothy about the Holy Scriptures? He said, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. You know what Paul is saying to Timothy? He's saying, don't ever forget how it was you found out you was lost. The Word of God is what shows the lost person that they're lost. You say, I thought they had to have faith. Well, they do have to have faith. And faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. That's how that happens. I don't know how I got there, but it needed to be said. We see Peter's report. It ain't going to work. We've toiled all night. We've fished those waters. Sounds like a lot of people I know. It ain't going to work. We've toiled all night. We've taken nothing. We've fished those waters. There's nothing there. But notice his repose. He says, nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. He says, I know I've not experienced the best of luck out here. But if you say it'll work, Lord, then I will go out. It's interesting when you study this dynamic. And, and I, you, if you've heard me preach a little while, you've heard me say this before, but that, that faith and unbelief are not necessarily antonyms. That, that disbelief or rejection of the Word of God would be the, the opposite of, of faith. But that faith and unbelief can, can operate at the same time. And we know that because the man prayed and he said, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. You see, the difference is this. When you got born again, you, you got a new nature. You still have the old nature. And the old nature responds to the Word of God in unbelief. But the new man, he responds to the Word of God in faith. And so inasmuch as you lean or depend upon the old man or the new man, to such is the degree of faith and unbelief that consists in your life. Peter says, Lord, I'll trust you. But notice the reserve that he shows. I've read this I don't know how many times and never thought about the reason that the Bible tells us this. But notice what it says in verse number 6. It says, And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net 
break. Why did their net break? Well, notice carefully what God told Peter, what the Lord told Peter. He said, let down your nets. What did Peter let down? He let down the net. In other words, you know what happened? God said, Peter, lay out every net that you've got. Peter said, I'll lay out one. And that net was almost broken under the strain of those fishes. You know, you know part of the problem in churches today? We have relegated and compartmentalized being evangelistic to a few hours on a Tuesday or a Thursday night. And we have ceased to encourage people to live their lives in search of people in need of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. I'm not opposed to it. I hope you come out. I hope you knock on doors. I think that's important. I think more is done when you do it than is done when you don't do it. I'm not being critical. But I'm saying this. We say, what's happening in the church today? What's happening? In the, why are people turning away? Why do we not see people being saved like they once came to know Christ? I can tell you exactly why. Because we have, much like we've done with missions, you know what we've done? I don't have to be mission-minded because I write a mission check each month. And we have, we have tried to sell away our duty, our sacred responsibility to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with me. Let me tell you something. Give to missions. Give till it hurts. God bless you. That's wonderful. Go out and knock on doors. You need to do that. But understand that there are lost fish around you every day. And understand that it don't matter how many doors you knock on, it don't matter how many dollars you give to missions, your duty and responsibility is still to reach out to those whom God places in your pathway day in and day out. He had a faith. He had some faith. He didn't have enough faith. Notice what it says in verse number 7. I, I want you to notice the, the catch of the sea. Sounds like a plate at Red Lobster, don't it? The catch of the sea. We see the bounty of the fish. Verse number 6. There's a bunch of them. There was a bunch of them. There's a bunch of lost folks. You say, how can we win a bunch of lost folks to the Lord, preacher? Go tell a bunch of lost folks about Jesus Christ. You won't win all of them, but you'll win more than you are just sitting on the bank washing your nets. We have weighed the white flag before we've even fired the first shot, and we wonder what's wrong with our anemic churches. Go out, share the gospel. I challenge you to do it. Whether you take a track, whether you... Listen, whether you give out any piece of literature, I challenge you to tell somebody what God did in your life and how He saved you. You'd be amazed the impact it can have. Say, preacher, I don't know all the verses. Well, learn the verses. But in the meantime, just tell them what God did in your life. Preacher, I'm not very eloquent. Well, you don't have to be real eloquent. Just tell them what God did in your life. We need to get back to some good old-fashioned testimonial soul winning. Some men and brethren, I was on the road to Damascus type of soul winning. I'm not against the Romans road. If that clarifies something to somebody, by all means use it. I, I'm not against whatever mechanics and tools that you want to use that aid you in sharing the gospel. If that helps you, then do it. But don't underestimate the power of your personal testimony. I know God can save you because God saved me. I know that. 
And I don't care, listen, I don't care whether that fits with your theology or my theology. I don't care if you agree with my church or not. I don't care what you think of my politics, but you can't deny this is my personal testimony. God saved me, and because He saved me, I know that He can save you. We see the bounty and breaking of the fish. We see the fellow laborers, verse number 7. They beckon unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. You say, what is that, preacher? A proof text on church planning. You know what, the, you know what they'd probably do the next time if God hadn't called them into the ministry? They'd probably took out more ships. You say, what happened? As they began to catch fish, it began to be too much for the ships, so more ships would be needed. Uh, The church of the Lord Jesus Christ does not build vertically. It builds horizontally. (laughs) Uh, Listen, and I'm not here to fuss about big churches, but I I am saying this, that that the church ought to grow outward, not upward. So what do we do as we grow and grow and grow? We go out and reach other places, other communities with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see their fellow laborers. And finally, and and I'm done. I don't even have time to preach this. I'm just going to give it to you. I want you to notice the faith of Simon. Something changed in him. What happened? Look at verse number 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. Well, that's a pretty good place for him, isn't it? We see the position that this resulted in. You hear people say sometimes, well, I don't want to get so busy working for the Lord that I never worship Him. You won't. (laughs) Don't worry about it. It's like I heard somebody say one time, talking about worship and shouting, they said, I'm just scared of wildfire. Well, there's enough wet blankets in most Baptist churches that you don't have to be worried about wildfire. All right? Don't, don't worry. Don't worry about working so much that you don't worship Him. Because I find this, that the Lord said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. So it sounds to me like there's a place at his feet and there's a place in his fields and we're supposed to be in both of those places. You get out serving God and sharing the gospel, that won't pull you away from worship. That'll give you something to shout about. We see the position of Simon. Look at the next part of verse number 8. We see the contrition of Simon saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. People say, Well, you know, if we start winning people, Lord, it might give us a big head. No, (laughs) no. When you realize that, that, that God... You know what, what it's a reminder of? You know what I see when I see a sinner on their knees coming to know Christ? I'm just reminded of where I was when God saved me. It didn't cause Peter to, to, to shy away and say, Well, I've got this all figured out. He didn't get up and look at the Lord and say, Look at all the fish I caught. He got up and he said, Man, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. And as we share the gospel with people, it is a consistent, constant reminder to you and I that God loves everyone because He'd use us to reach them. He'd use us to reach them. And then finally, I want you to notice the preparation of Simon. This is really an, an auxiliary thought. Look what it says in verse number 10. It says, And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto them, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. You know what this experience did? It prepared him to go out and to reach people for Christ. You say, Preacher, how, how do I get in this business of sharing the gospel? Well, it's real simple. Just go share the gospel. Just go share the gospel. I'm not saying there isn't some common sense to have. I'm not saying there aren't some guidelines that help us. But I sort of remember what my pastor used to always say to me. He'd share this instance, this story. He said that one time somebody came to him and said, you know, I just don't care for the way that you witness to people. 
And he said, well, what's your way of witnessing to people? And they said, I don't have a way. And he said, well, I like my way better. I say, go out and share the gospel with folks. Oh, you'll get quote-unquote good at it later, whatever that means. But just go out and share the gospel with people. Just go out. That, that's, that's part of the reason we do these tracks. We don't do these tracks as some kind of gimmick. We do them as a, as a thing to help people when they say, I don't have the right words. Well, we write the right words down. Give them, a, give them a gospel. Tell them God loves them. Tell them God saved you and God can save them. And you know what you'll find? If you'll sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. Are you on the shore or are you in the deep today? Are, are you? I know you came here to wash your nets. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But are you going to go out into the deep? Are you going to go out and reach and try to impact people with the gospel of Jesus Christ? I believe that's the will of God. So the question is, will you do it this morning? I hope that you will.